So they wanted to throw Jesus off a cliff. They wanted to throw Jesus off a cliff. But before we get to that, let's recall where we are in the story. Luke, the physician and historian, has worked hard to give us not only his best gospel research, but to help us understand who Jesus is and how Jesus got here. Remember, we're only three chapters from Advent and only two chapters from Christmas. Angels have proclaimed good news of great joy, which will be for all people to a group of night shift shepherds, some of the lowliest groups of people in that society, letting us know right off the bat that God intends to invite people to the party that usually don't get invited. Eight days later, the old priest Simeon says he's finally ready to die because he instantly recognizes that this baby is the one he's been waiting his whole life to see, God's long-awaited and long-promised Messiah. Beyond that, we see glimpses of Jesus' boyhood. We're reminded of his legacy-laden genealogy. We're invited to witness his baptism where the Spirit of God descends on him like a dove and says... This is my son, the beloved. Listen to him. Then Jesus leaves the baptismal waters and wanders out into the desert to fast and to pray and to be tempted by Satan. Would Jesus abandon himself in, in, in all of the, the, the mission that he had in the world in, in order to achieve some sort of fame or, or glory or spectacle or, or glamour? Would he give up his holy purpose to satisfy some hunger for bread or even some deeper hunger for ambition or worldly authority? No, he absolutely would not. In Luke 3, we see evil personified testing Jesus' mettle again and again and again. And each and every single time, Jesus shows that he's fully prepared to pass the test. And so... Jesus returns to Galilee, filled with the power of the Spirit, fully ready to begin his ministry of teaching, preaching, healing, and deliverance, fully prepared to live out his messianic Son of God mission in the world. Luke says, news of his power and authority began to sprout and spread all over, and in the midst of this, he decides to return home to Nazareth to the people who had nurtured him in order to announce to them the purpose of his messianic mission. Which brings us finally to today's passage of Scripture, today's Gospel reading, which begins with Jesus walking into the temple, unrolling the Isaiah scroll, and reading these words. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he has anointed me to bring good news to the poor, to, he has sent me to proclaim release to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to let the oppressed go free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor or jubilee. He read these words and then he proclaimed that today they were fulfilled in their hearing and they received this as very good news initially. Initially, just look again at Luke chapter 4. Luke says that when they heard this, 
all spoke well of him. They were amazed at the gracious words that came from his mouth. Remember that. Put a bookmark in that. When they first heard Jesus, they they spoke well at him. They were amazed by him. They said that his words were full of grace. That was their initial impression. They seemed to understand because of what they'd heard about him. And they seemed to understand by his interpretation of the Isaiah text that what he meant was that he was indeed the Messiah. Here to enact God's long-awaited, long-promised messianic mission. And they likely assumed, since this was their hometown, that they were going to have an inside track on that. That they were going to receive a, a special bit of privilege in that. I mean, isn't that Joseph's son? Isn't that a hometown boy? Or in other words, much like Will Ferrell's elf who heard that Santa was coming, we know him. They knew him. They'd helped raise him. They knew his parents. They'd grown up with this guy. And here he was with authority and power saying the thing they'd long been waiting and praying to hear. And to see someone do. This was very, very good news. And good news for them in ways that may understandably be difficult for us to understand. Because let's be honest. We're not poor in the way that they were poor. Not many of us are captive or oppressed in the way that they had been made captive or oppressed. Most of us aren't waiting for the Lord's favor in the way that they were waiting for the Lord's favor. One writer has rightly said that if you're in the majority race and are in the middle to upper class of one of the most powerful empires in the world, it will be much difficult, much more difficult for you to get or even want every implication of the gospel. But if you're like these Jewish people in the minority race, many poor in power and financial profit, and even conquered by the most powerful empire in the world, your ears are conditioned in a way to hear good news for the poor, release for the captives, and liberation for the oppressed in ways that you and I can't easily receive. So, if we want to understand the whole gospel that Jesus came to live and proclaim and unleash... We do well to try to see it through the eyes of Luke, of those Luke calls the least of these. And then, of course, we do well to find those people in our own communities and begin working alongside them to see God's kingdom come and God's will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Hmm. If we want to understand the gospel in the way Jesus understood the gospel. We have to hear it in that way. But of course, even then, our vision will be short-sighted. We can't help it. We're human, and we're conditioned. None of us sees Jesus or Scripture or the gospel with complete, untainted clarity, which is why we all have to continue to try to lovingly do our best to live it out as lovingly and as humbly as possible. Always aware that our biases, 
Some of them so deeply embedded in us that we will never actually fully be able to see them or comprehend them. They're always lurking and lingering in us. And if we're not careful, in the right or wrong moment, can erupt out of us in dangerous, destructive, and even damaging ways. That's what happens here in the temple, by the way, when Jesus came to announce his messianic mission to the people in his hometown. At first, they like what they saw and they like what they heard. A hometown boy who was obviously more than a hometown boy proclaiming the good news that they'd all longed to hear. Oh, these were such promising words. Hope-filled words. So much so that right there in the middle of Jesus' sermon, they start talking with one another about how much they loved it and how much they loved him and how excited they were to see what it would all mean. But then, of course... It all turned. It turned quickly as their emotions were pricked quite quickly. You'll likely quote to yourself the proverb, Doctor, heal yourself and do for us what you did for those in Capernaum. In other words, you've likely assumed that all of this is primarily going to be good news for me and for you, for us and not for them. But a prophet, you know, is rarely accepted in their hometown. The people who know us best often are the ones who have the most trouble hearing us when we're speaking truth. One leader once told me that that's why after a number of years in an organization, he'll often have to hire consultants to come in and say to his employees the things he's already been saying so that they can hear him. Because they've, they've, become, they've started having trouble actually hearing him. And Jesus knew that too. Jesus knew that these people were going to have trouble hearing him. And so he decided to make his message a bit more clear, which is always problematic. You remember in the time of Elijah when there was a drought, he asked? Elijah was sent by God then to help a widow, but not a Jewish one. And Elisha was sent by God in that time to help a leper, a leper that was actually the commander of an enemy army. And that's what did it. He said that, and the people in the synagogue that day, people who knew him and loved him, people who'd watched him grow up, people who'd babysat for him when, when Mary and Joseph had gone out on dates, people who'd gone to school with him and worked with him and shared meals with him, people were excited for him when they'd heard him start preaching and teaching and healing, and people who were just talking about how excited they were to hear his good, gracious, powerful news were transformed almost instantaneously into a mob who was ready not only to run him out of town, but to run him off a cliff. Why? Well, this is worth pondering because I think this situation points us to something we all experience from time to time. There's a psychological concept, for instance, called transference. And simplified, transference happens when we project onto a person our assumptions about 
who they are in this world and how that might relate to us and who we are in this world. Or, or, or simply our expectations in the present, our hopes and our dreams for them and what they might fulfill in our own lives. And sometimes, whether we realize it or not, these people remind us of someone. A parent or a sibling or a friend or a teacher from our past. And so we transfer our feelings from that past relationship onto this person. Or we transfer our expectations for what this new leader might do in our lives onto this person. This often happens with leaders, by the way. We meet a leader... And then we transfer our hopes and expectations and experiences from the past or the present onto, for the future, them. Sometimes bad things, sometimes good things. Whatever they are, they're usually not true things, not entirely. And what can happen and what will eventually happen is that the transference will be broken. The person says or does something that reveals that they're not exactly who we believe them to be. Often this happens and there's just a subtle awakening, a realization. But sometimes that realization can bring on a very negative reaction too. Sometimes when transference is broken and we realize this person isn't the answer we thought she or he was to whatever question we were asking, people erupt violently. Their amygdalas get hijacked. They feel threatened by it. The response is not proportionate to what's happening. And I think that's what's happening here. When Jesus references Elijah and Elisha in those stories, they knew what he meant. The gospel he came to proclaim wasn't just for them. It was for others. Jesus hadn't come to be their savior alone, but Jesus had come to proclaim and perpetuate a radically inclusive gospel, which would be good news of great joy for all people. All people. And when they began to think deeply about the full implications of that in their own lives, they saw red. It made them angry. Not just take their ball and go home angry, not just cuss you out or cut you out of my life, angry, but let's form a mob, take this sucker up to the highest place in town and throw him off a cliff, angry. And friends, that's scary. That's scary because these were people from his church. These were people... These were people from his community. In one moment, they're ready to crown him with many crowns. And well, in the next moment, I suppose a cliff is as good as a cross, right? Whatever it takes. Let's silence that sucker. That's scary. And it's scary because even though we know we're from a different time and a different culture, a different ethnicity a different socioeconomic status, even a different religion. Actually, we know we're just as human as they are and just as susceptible to this kind of wrong, dangerously destructive behavior as they are. Maybe in big, drastic, dramatic ways like this, but often, more often, in smaller, more normalized behaviors as well. We, we've seen this quite a bit over the last few years. We can get so divided 
so divided, so reactive about how we see things. And we often find ourselves in postures where we're completely and totally closed off to others. We're as open-minded as we think we are here at Second Baptist Church. We're really not ready to let any more of God's light in. Or as someone else wrote once, we don't believe what we see. We see what we believe. We don't believe what we see. We see what we already believe. Just take that one with you. Was the dress blue and black or white and gold? Remember that? We were all so convinced, weren't we? Is COVID real or is it a hoax? Are vaccines helpful or hurtful? Is he or she good, the one we've all been waiting for to lead us and help us, or or are they evil? Are those actions in that moment in response to that event for the best, or are they for the worst? I think many of us in our country today are having the same struggle that crowd gathering in the synagogue were having. We only want to hear people say what we want them to say. We only want people to mean what we want them to mean. We only want people to be who we want them to be. And if they can't say or mean or be that, then well, maybe we cuss them out or maybe we cut them out or maybe maybe more, maybe less. But you know, I'd love it today if, if we just might allow this story to prompt us toward a little more humility, a little more openness and a little less binary, this way or that way thinking. I'd love it today if we might be willing to learn from this crowd of friends who became an angry mob ready to throw Jesus off a cliff. If we might learn from them and open ourselves up to whatever God might want to say or do with us in the days ahead. Whether it's what we think we want or not. They tried to throw Jesus off a cliff. These people tried to throw Jesus off a cliff. They tried to silence the gospel by silencing him. And when they did, he slipped away. Now pay attention to that. Because that's still what happens today. We can't stop Jesus or what he's doing in the world. He's too slippery. The gospel will keep breaking boundaries and changing the world with Jesus, whether we like it or not, whether we like what Jesus is doing or not. But you know, I hope we won't just like it. I hope we'll be willing to become a part of it. To become a part of unleashing it with him again and again and again as we continue to grow together in Christ. I pray that God will give us eyes to see as God sees. I pray that God will give us ears to hear as God hears. I pray that give us, God will give us a heart to love as God loves so that we can see Jesus more clearly. Follow him more nearly. And love him and others more dearly. Let's ask Jesus to help us do that now. 
in a few silent moments before this hymn of response, let's ask God to help us see with God's eyes, hear with God's ears, and love more fully with God's heart.